Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Thank you for joining in. This is Naziati Mohammed Yaakob, your host for Talk Architecture. This is the part two of the topic on architecture and disability, sensory design. Um, some recollection of what was discussed earlier will be addressed, but we want to push the topic to another level by introducing two references for discussion sake. So in part two on sensory design, we know that the term sensory design is not well defined yet. Well, I found some research, exploration and innovation in this area that borders between neurology and architecture or design. We will talk about psychology later and how psychology is too broad to discuss this because it's about interfaces and we deal with interfaces a lot in our designs. Talk, this talk that was entitled Creating New Senses for Humans by David Eagleman, who is a neuroscientist we discussed earlier, where we are constructed where he said that we are constrained by our biology. So he created new interfaces such as sensory vests. I talked earlier about sensory design for the universal design bus stop on whether there are any other sensory sensorial experience, perhaps included for the intellectually disabled person or mentally disabled person. In a way, taking a linear way of thinking about resolving problems and coming up with solutions is what we normally do. So our design thinking approach is expanded to system thinking now, where we interview the users and they will ask the important questions when we need to when where we need to come up with a design without limitation or limited thinking processes. So there is an ecosystem or there is a it's system thinking, which is um, things are interconnected and you don't really look at th uh, one thing only when we are solving problems. So besides the keyword sensory design and sensorial experience that we have touched upon earlier, we also thought about aesthetics, materials, patterns, communication, language, information, accessibility, and usability. We see whether these things are helpful or not, the theoretical side of it. But nevertheless, we know that the application side of it is the more important aspect because we need to verify, we need to validate with the user. So I refer to the seven principles of universal design for the sake of finding, uh, for referring to some um, well thought out um, theory, yeah? So which to me have some interdisciplinary ideas and interfaces and to deal with interfaces and has been a guide for the um, user um, UI and UX designers, yeah, uh, in digitalization.
So these principles provide functional and utilitarian means for people to, to be independent and assisted with their activities on daily living. I provided some examples when I talk about universal design earlier. We know that Ron Mays established the universal design principles in 1997, and surely now there are more to add in 2022, some 25 years later. Is there, or he has got it sorted out that these are the principles for us to use? However, when we talk about sensory design, what do we have out there? What do we have out there actually? I shall use two references to further investigate. There happen to be um, a reference that is readily available when you Google them. One is the article called The Multi-Sensory Approach to Workspace Design by Cecilia Amador de San Jose in June 27, 2016 which preceded another article published in 2017 at the same website, workdesign.com, which is called Multi-Sensory Design, the Empathy-Based Approach to Workplace Wellness by Melissa Marsh and Kirsten, Kristen Mueller. There is an image called a multi-sensory banner from Plastark, P-L-A-S-T-A-R-C, and I would quickly read about, this banner has six um, rows of images, sorry, three rows of images. The first row is biophilic diversity, the second is well-building, and the third is multi-sensory. So when we look at multi-sensory, Marsh said, is complexity and order, mind, biomorphic forms and patterns, thermal and airflow, refuge, comfort, and prospect. I was attracted to one of them. But I was also mindful that this line with the other lines talk about nature. So the approach by Marsh described in the article to further expand on the five senses of sight, sound, touch, smell, and taste. The suggestion tend to veer towards nature and natural forms. Aesthetics is defined as the branch of philosophy which deals with questions of beauty and artistic taste. This led me to delve deeper on what is beauty and artistic taste in terms of the now concept in time and space that I had discussed earlier. Depending on your activity, for example, using the bus stop, how would one design the bus stop to be a sensorial experience that fulfill more than just function and utility as per universal design principles? Have we included the intellectually and mentally disabled person's needs? We know that we try to accommodate the wheelchair user and the blind person needs. So another image that I have from another article is the figure, it shows the figure of the theoretical framework of sensory design that I found from the article, a review of sensory design physical learning environment for autism center in Malaysia by Argazali, SRM Sakit, Ismail Samsudin, 
published on the 2nd March 2018 under psychology. So this is what led me to thinking is it to do with psychology. But anyway, the, the abstract in this article says, Autism Spectrum Disorder, ASD, is a neurodevelopmental order that impairs verbal and nonverbal communication and social interaction by showing themselves in repetitive behavior, sensory issues, and cognitive delay. With proper learning environment, autistic children can continue their lives with their peers who exhibit regular development. The paper aims to develop a conceptual sensory design of autism physical learning environment. The objective is to identify sensory issues for design consideration in a physical learning environment. Perhaps this could help designers to gain better understand the variables of certain school design features and school facilities. So in this um, diagram, figure, figure number three of that article, there is a, in the middle, the word sensory design and around it, all this other um, aspects to sensory design, which includes smell, color, acoustic, accessibility, wayfinding, compartmentation, scale, lighting, alternative, safety and security, garden, quiet room. I know about quiet room from um, activists who are concerned with autistic people. And um, especially in the COVID-19 pandemic, where you have to have this um, vaccination centers with quiet room. And yes, I mean, it got me to thinking about um, places needing this facilities. So in here, we this, this the authors here, they provide many other factors. And some of these factors um, resonate with uh, the other users. Uh, who have or are mobility impaired, such as accessibility, and for blind users, such as wayfinding, and um, lighting for for vision impaired uh, users, and so on. Yeah, and normally everybody would like to have safety and security as well. So, um, but this is particular for autistic people. So, uh, taking into consideration this. Article and also the previous article um, on multi-sensory approach and design. Um, I have extracted these principles or components from both references. Um, complexity in order, accessibility, wayfinding, and scale. What I discern from these are the values that perhaps would architecturally define aesthetics in the now concept of time and space. It's something I'm I'm going into this this idea that can these things define aesthetics? Because aesthetics, uh, as I mentioned, is um, defined as just to deal with the question of beauty and artistic taste. But we can expand this um, understanding of aesthetic or then, then I realize that maybe I just go to form, but then I'll talk about form later. So... Um, now concept of time and space, now you're using the bus stop, now using the house, now you are using the um, uh, um, uh, public facility. And now, how do you negotiate 
in terms of the moving around or you to, uh, uh, using the space and using using the details, using the components and trying to get a job done or trying to get from point A to B. So how does aesthetics, how does aesthetics or form figure out in this? So I suggested a sketch to describe this essential quality from those principles and components that we mentioned earlier that is needed in the design, which may be um, deemed to be the fourth dimension and movements of a human being in terms of transfer from point A to B in terms of the human senses. Yeah, I would argue that it's easier to determine this in a building, but not in a street environment, unless you have a roof. But if you do not have a roof, the sky is your roof, which in terms of scale seems very high, or even infinite, which defeats order in a way. So order can be through the floor surfaces or columns, if there is no roof or pillars, or some sort of a movement, um, you know, a uh, determinant from point A to B. The vertical and horizontal movement patterns of a travel journey by design, in this case, sensory design, can assist a person who is currently disabled by the now situation, the now concept, to be less disabling when we incorporate a solution. How will we define design problem? Is aesthetic or form part of sensory design if we deemed sensory design an extension of universal design or to complement the effectiveness of a design? So the sketch has some sort of, uh, it's not a straightforward modular rectilinear um, drawing, but um, one which looks like a tadpole in a way with a head which is part of the bus stop or the transit point. So the sense of scale, what do, what, what do we refer to? What gives us identity? So this was a question being asked about um, scale. When we have scale involved, which was proposed by one of the articles, and the other article proposed order and uh, complexity, so what do we refer this to when we are traveling through the space? And does it give us a sense of identity? Is having a sense of identity important in designing for the bus stop? Because usually we design it as a modular, utilitarian way. Designers are not really involved in the street environment at all, mostly, you know, maybe in terms of urban design but not in the street environment or the pavements and sidewalks, really. And in this case, the bus stop, if we're looking at our version number two and we want to go further and improve, have it as cheap as it can get, but yet it can be having sensory design. Not only taking in universal design, but um, more to another level yeah, of um, design that is when we have when we say about scale, scale is important for for certain individuals and for us all. And is it the height of um, the height um, uh, compared to compared to your scale or your size? So we we deemed uh, a certain height because of functionality, of um, thinking about the rain coming in and we don't need to put it too high. 
is it too high? Is it too low? You know, what is it? Should it be higher than the one that we've been doing in version number two? So therefore, this the word scale and referencing and identity is something that um, one is thinking about at the moment. So the still the form, we need content, we need research on human behavior in transit as well. But, you know, they're still lacking in terms of how we identify the bus stop, you know. I mean, there is a feeling or an emotional design to it. So design for the public has always been complicated and left to the minimum standards and operating procedures. The other considerations and design criteria, such as it should be easy to maintain, vandal-proof, or whatever the client, in, case, in this case, the local authority wants. As we've always been concerned with the issues of the user, it's back to the standards and seemingly utilitarian and functional. So to make it look good, it is limited to a range of cheap materials again. And sometimes these materials are not really that functional. I mean, or we haven't really chosen the right materials to push the design to another level. So again, aesthetics and form should be considered a fourth dimension in our senses, the sense of time and place. Thinking about form as a utility, and we all know form is aesthetics, we can see form's dual role in all this where the use of materials can help with the sensory design. Some of those mentioned earlier of multi-sensory design, but I will use um, sensory design to create a bigger language or do create more design principles or criteria that could assist with expanding the universal design principles. You never know, yeah? The human interact with architecture through their five senses and also the sense of movement in the fourth dimension. By using the space and moving about and having a sense of order, scale, complexity, using more of touch and tactility, smell and feel and move around. There need to be more research in human behavior and somehow the, interact, the interfaces, the thing to do with interface. So we need to read more articles on this. So design so that there is a sense of patterns that people could get the feel of things, like David Eagleman's sensory substitution and sensory addition. If my blind trainer before has a pattern in his mind that he, he knows how to move about and negotiate things without a white cane, and patterns is something that is consistent way of feedback loops of information, when we function in our day-to-day -day activity with patterns of daily living, for example, negotiating the bus stop, what is minimum could be more to inform us better. So David Eagleman talked about interfaces such as the vest that one wears and receiving information as a sensory substitution. Then uh, another host with Eagleman mentioned that still a lack of exploration on sensory addition. If the products that we make, our smartphones, the chair that we sit on, the surface that we thread are interfaces, then there are many interfaces. How are these going to provide us information unless we use technology and sensors on them to convey information? Are there any other ways? So, you know, it, it gets to be complicated when we think about a digitalization of these things, but it could be resolved in a low-tech way as well. Because we deal with them, we design them in the limited way we do. Because we take them for granted or we don't really think much about it. Um, we just 
choose the minimum standard and the cheaper option without thinking thinking much. And this is something that I'm aware doing version number two bus stop. So I did mention that this is to do with psychology, but then again, um, let me uh, give a quotation of psychology and architecture from rethinkingfuture.com. Architecture is a built environment and psychology is an individual experience of the physical environment. Hence, architectural psychology is a study based on the interaction of people with the spaces and inter interrelationship between humans and their surroundings. The tool, so this tool examines the effects of built-in cognitive, behavioral, tangible, intangible, and affective layers in human experiences. So there's a bunch of books in this website, um, like I said, rethinkingthefuture.com. Uh, on architecture and psychology, people have been exploring this. But then I start thinking that, yes, there's a broader aspect of it. We're going to go into the much more direct aspect of it. And it's going to be testing, validation, testing, validation. Yeah. As we move forward to actually trying to find the bus stop that... Um, it's not only what we expect it to do, but also gives more and more people or include more and more people to feel comfortable using them. As I said, the intellectually disabled and the mentally disabled people. But of course, it's a system. It's not only the bus stop. It's to do with um, wayfinding. It's to do with embarking, disembarking and transiting from the bus stop to the vehicles and definitely there is much more for us to discover so this very this aspect of psychology is very broad and there are many books written on it so however sensory design is direct and to do with perceptions and functions that's what it is when we talk about validating and verification perception and function perception and function probably some sort of grounded theory through our investigation. The end goal is for, to, for people to have independent living and assisted living, which is low cost and not burdensome. So when we talk about traveling, for example, so traveling around is one thing, performing at home is another, yeah? What we, uh, at home, there are other set of function and criteria in terms of, effectiveness of design, how to have a quality of life that have ease of use, safe, comfortable, and some flexi flexibility to negotiate is what is the, our underlying objective with regard to the sensory design that we're talking about today. With that, I think um, I just went through um, the articles, went through some terms, went through thinking about this even much more deeper than uh, part one. We went on the surface, we saw, I mean, I, I referred to the TED Talk by David Eagleman, and now um, we are um, mentioning that as well with reference to others. And um, designing the version number three bus stop in mind to have more people included, yet um, trying to break through 
a normal way of thinking what a bus stop should be in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, will help us to actually get nearer to a design that is um, inclusive, more inclusive, and and maybe let us learn something along the way so that this will help in other designs, obviously. Um, so with that, I thank you for everyone listening in to another episode uh, on Architecture and Disability, Sensory Design Part 2. So uh, see you in the next podcast. Thank you.